thank you, thank you. We've been looking at the, the middle of Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 6 and 7. What do you do when you're in a tough season? What do you do when it's been a, a long time of, of frustration or hurt or confusion? We've looked at his life and hopefully we've looked at our own lives through this. And so today we're going to finish that up. Next week we'll begin a new Lenten series. But as we're finishing up, keep your Bibles open as we'll go verse by verse here to look at two things about Jesus' life, but then to look at some ways in which, like this woman, we need to respond to Jesus in the same way. Two words, if you're a note taker, two words for Jesus. What do we see here in his life? First, we see that he is sincere. Now you're going to say, well, of course Jesus is sincere. But we see it in a couple of ways. He's been taking these disciples to the other side, to that dangerous side of the Sea of Galilee where no, no mama would ever tell her child to go. And now he's just been berated about his disciples washing of hands and how they haven't done that. You'd think he might shrink back, but the next thing you see Jesus, Jesus do is he practices what he preaches He has a purity of heart, a purity of mission. He won't get off course, and he goes north. He goes outside of the Holy Land, north of Galilee. Should have been Holy Land, and maybe in some ways Jesus is reclaiming it. But he's going north to a place again that's on the outside, to a place where there once was another woman, and her name was Jezebel. That's where Jesus goes. Verse 24, he practiced with what he preaches. He does what he says to always do. So there's sincerity of his mission and of his life, but also in relationship to this woman. You read this, there's a sincerity in, in his heart with this conversation. And it's a hard conversation to read at face value. I get that. You look at this conversation, you say, Jesus is kind of pushing this woman off. Now listen, it could be, and most commentators think, Jesus is up there to get away, partly, that he has been put through it. After the feeding of the 5,000, many of his disciples, his friends had left him. He's already been rejected in his hometown. He's just had this skirmish with the Pharisees and scribes. And Jesus models for us, it's okay. It's the pattern God's given to us to find times of rest. And most people think that's partly why he's gone there. And he's in a home, he gets interrupted, and he's not barking pardon the pun, he's not barking at somebody when this word dog comes up. Now listen, some Jews of that day called Gentiles dog. That's not the word that Jesus uses here with her. It seems like a harsh conversation. Really, it's, it's another word. Very few families had pets. Matter of fact, dogs were considered scavengers and you didn't want them back then. Uh, but some well-to-do families had household pets. And that's, that's the word Jesus uses here. And he's doing it to to make a point with her. And again, I wish we could, you can't get it. I wish we could have seen this. And I wish we could have heard it. Because you know that. What you say matters, but how you say it can sometimes matter even more. So don't, uh, 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 don't be concerned with that word when it comes up that somehow Jesus is, is being gruff with her. This is a common practice. You feed the children, and even sometimes you'd use the leftover bread to wipe your hands, and then you'd put it on the ground for the household pet. So this is, this is something she would have been a practice she would have been uh, aware of, but, but also what's happening here, and this is just like Jesus, and it shows his sincerity. I'm not, I'm not a magician. 
just as the woman with the blood issue, I want you to know, I'm, I'm trying to pull out your faith here. Just like the woman with the blood issue, who touched me, I want to make sure you know it's your faith. Now go. Same here. He's, he won't just be used, but instead, in Mark's gospel, typically it's faith that precedes a miracle. It doesn't force God's hand, but typically it's a prerequisite uh, to God doing a work in someone's life. So just like Mark chapter 2, seeing their faith, or the woman with the blood issue, or right here, he's pulling it out to make sure that, that she understands this is, this is a faith deal, and you've got it, and your daughter is free. So don't miss his sincere heart and his sincere life here with this woman. But secondly, this other phrase or word would be other-centered or self-giving. Again, he's just been through it. He needs a break. Verse 25, she falls at his feet, begs for her daughter's freedom. Verse 28 and verse 30, he engages her. And he heals her daughter. Now, Jesus has been through it. Matter of fact, that's been his pattern throughout this entire gospel. That he's always meeting needs no matter what he's been through. You go back to chapter 5. And Jairus comes with his needs. And it's just like Jesus, as John 10, 45, the center of the gospel says. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. You see that put on display. Jesus is getting off a boat. I'm sure he's just tired. Been with those disciples, and they keep stumbling and bumbling. As soon as he gets off the boat, the synagogue official comes up. It's my daughter. Jesus says, let's go. On the way to that, a woman touches his garment. Let's keep going. This daughter may need resurrection by the time we get there. No, he stops, and he speaks with this woman with the blood issue. It's just like Jesus to allow his life to be interrupted. Jesus is always meeting needs and putting his preferences, his schedule to the side to bless people. And don't miss it. This has been a tough season for Jesus. And for many of us, it's been a tough season. And we need times of rest. Jesus is modeling that there. He's trying to get rest. But it's also a reminder, too, to have this servant heart that you see throughout the Gospels, ultimately in the cross. Jesus lives to serve. Now, not only do we see those two things about Jesus, but what do we see about this Gentile uh, Syrophoenician woman that, that especially speaks to us? First is this, four words for her. First, she's desperate. Verse 25 says she falls, just like Jairus for his daughter, she falls at the feet of Jesus. There's only two groups of people in all of Mark's gospel that recognize Jesus. Now, they don't fully get him. The only person who gets a, a really good glimpse is at the transfiguration, you know, Peter, James, and John, but especially the centurion. When this Roman violent person sees Jesus die, he can say, surely this was the Son of God. But pretty much everybody else confuses it. The disciples who've been with him for three years, we just read last week, their hearts were hardened, or two weeks ago, their hearts are hardened from time to time. They struggle, they bumble. The scribes and Pharisees from last week who ought to know better, they stumble, they bumble. Two people get Jesus. The demons, they recognize who he is. And the desperate whether it's the woman with the blood, blood issue or Jairus, or later at the end of his public ministry, right before Holy Week, Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, or here, Lord, my daughter. The desperate see Jesus. 
They recognize Jesus as we saw in Hebrews this past week, the source. He is the source for our salvation. The desperate get it. Rich young ruler in a couple weeks, he's so close, but he's got other stuff, so he's not desperate for Jesus. Last week, they're so close, but we're, we're desperate for the traditions of the elders. It's a reminder to us the only right response to Jesus is desperation. Jesus, it's going to have to be you, not me. I do my part. I respond. I'm faithful, but it's got to be Jesus. When we're in the middle of life, a long season in a, a relationship or in a work or whatever it may be, wondering if you're going to get work, walking with a parent, a tough time uh, 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 parenting, be desperate for Jesus. I love that song lyric. This is the air I breathe. The chorus only has just a few words. What are they? I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. That's the response of this Gentile woman. She is desperate. If you're in the middle, you're in a hard season, as she does, as Jairus does, fall at the feet of Jesus. Number two, she's desperate, but she's also confident. And you look at her life and you might think, how is she confident? She's a Gentile, so she's considered, by assuming as she's bumping into Jesus, the verses say she's heard of him, she should be wondering what he thinks as a Jew about her, but not only is she unclean, but, but even her daughter is radically, by what people would say, is radically unclean. She's from the wrong place. She's from the wrong religion. Pretty much everything in her life would count her out. And now you've got this word dog being thrown around. She knows her stuff. She knows who she is. But that's Jesus. And you're not going to keep me from him. I've heard of you. And you're the kind of person who would say yes to me. It's interesting. She's just come, Jesus has just come from calling all food clean, if you remember last week. And now he's reminding him really the heart of that, and maybe Mark is too, and why he notes it because of his ministry to the Romans. Jesus wants everybody. And Jesus will meet everybody where they are. He won't leave them the same, but he'll meet everybody. God is reaching for everyone. So as we've said several times before, we don't let our past, we don't let the accuser of the brethren, we don't let other people like they did for Bartimaeus try to stop us from getting to Jesus because he comes to and will receive any repentant sinner, anybody who calls his name. She was confident. You confident this morning that Jesus will meet you? This scripture says that he will. Over and over again, Mark is saying to the people he's hoping will read this and to us, he will. She's desperate, she's confident, and I love that she's persistent. She makes, Jesus pushes back in verse 27 on her request, but then in 28, she comes right back with this argument. She's persistent. I think I've told this before at Pastor's Bible Study, but my, my father-in-law asked Helen, my mother-in-law, to marry him 14 different times. 14 different times. No, 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 no. Finally on the 14th, he had a, a, a request. It really even wasn't a request. He got smart. He just pulled out the ring, ring while they were at the movies 
It was actually a Tarzan movie, one of these old school movies. They put the ring on her finger, and she just said, okay. She said, okay, it's Valentine's Day. Pull out the Tarzan movie, you know. It's a romantic movie, apparently. But anyway, how do you, how do you take number five, number eight, number ten rejection? Because Dr. Joe was madly in love with Helen, and he was persistent. One of the great gifts you will ever give to the people you love is your persistent prayers. You want to be careful how you do that in your evangelism. You don't want to be a nag. You want to look for those divine appointments where there's this opportunity to share the gospel. But when you have a persistent prayer life, when you have a persistent life that, that shares the gospel, one of the greatest gifts you'll ever give. My Sunday school teacher here told me or told our class of a story of, of a mom who just prayed every day for a lost adult child. Every day, every day, every day. And I think it was one day, two day, three day. Within the week when he unexpectedly died, that week is when he said yes to Jesus. A mom who wouldn't let go of her son but just prayed every day. Persistent, persistent prayer doesn't force God's hand, but it sure moves his heart. And you see it here with Jesus uh, it's a great reminder to us, one of the great gifts we'll give as you see this mother fighting for her child is to be persistent. The last one, you're going to have to spell this out, advocative. I couldn't find a better adjective, I'm sorry. But if you look down to verse 26 too, I love this ministry of this woman in the sense that she stands in the gap for her daughter. Her daughter has wild stuff going on in her life and she stands in the gap. Listen, that's how most healings happen in Mark's gospel. Do the math. Two different people, the synagogue official and she, go to Jesus on somebody else's behalf and seven other miracles happen because people are just bringing people to Jesus. More miracles happen by people bringing people to Jesus than people coming to Jesus. What a great ministry you and I have. As difficult as it is in the middle, but in this time of desperation and frustration, to be able to try to bring people to talk to people, to pray for people, and to bring them to Jesus. Sometimes that may be an invitation to church. Jesus is here. Maybe that's in passing off Christian material. But the key is, get them to Jesus. And you see that people are set free routinely in this gospel. It's because believers said, come with me. I know somebody who can heal that. I know somebody can help with that. I know somebody that can deal with your guilt. I know somebody that can, whatever it may be. She's an advocate for her daughter. And it matters to the world and sets her daughter free. How is it you and I can commit to that? One last thing in just a few minutes we have. And I'm going to be quick with this because we've talked about it before. And I'm also going to be quick with it because the text is quick with it. It doesn't really highlight it. What gets highlighted here is the authority and the compassion of Jesus. What gets highlighted here is the faith and, and, and the determination of this woman. But I at least need to mention that there's spiritual warfare going on here. And it's important for us in our prayer life, but in our everyday life, to understand that's the backdrop here, but it's not just the backdrop here. If you do the math, starting in chapter 1, there's three occurrences of that in Mark's Gospel. And really, chapter 1 through 10 is his public ministry. And if I do the math, it's chapter 1, 3, 5, 6, 7, and 9. 
That's where you have some kind of, of blatant spiritual warfare going on. So if that's over half of Jesus' public ministry dealing with that, then that's a reality for us to keep in the back of our minds. Now I could tell you, and I, I remember doing that back in 2017, I, I could tell you wild stories of warfare. But I, I just don't think the devil overplays his hand in our culture. He works and wants to be known behind the scenes, so he's not known. He, he just works subtly. We, we, we see something in our culture. We do the scientific method. We see it. We test it. It shows up. We believe it. So I'm just going to work back here. And so Christians, we have to be discerning and not let our guard down because almost every page of Mark, is, is that's the reality. But we just don't see it. Now, there's no room for obsession about it. There's no room for saying every bad thing that ever happens is because of spiritual warfare. I mean, the referee bad calls on the saints, that's orchestrated by Beelzebub himself. But there's no reason for a, a crazy fear, obsession, pointing everything at that, but Paul says that's the real fight. Mark says it's, it's everywhere. I even saw, anyway, so I, I just want us to, to at least have highlighted that because as Peter says, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I love how Eugene Peterson expands that in his paraphrase the message, and we'll close with this. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce, and he would like nothing better to, than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones pl plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long before this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, he will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. But when we're in the middle, and it is a struggle, it is right for us to say, Lord, what's going on here? to be discerning, to be wise, and to be careful in our prayer life, and to guard our hearts and to guard our lives, knowing that may be a part of the issue. There's so much here about Jesus, about the purity of his life, the sincerity of his heart, that he wants faith in his people, and also the way in which he just constantly serves. But there's so much in her life that we can, that we can hear and that we can, we can respond to, that we would have lives where we would be confident in Jesus, that he'll meet us, that you and I won't let anything else get in the way. We won't try to fix it ourselves. We won't run to someone first. It's Jesus first. I'm desperate for you to be persistent in our prayers uh, for others. And then as well, to stand in the gap. It's not just about us. Who can I stand in the gap for? Let's pray about that. Lord, we thank you for this time, for your word. Would you bless our response to it, that we would see Jesus more fully and glory in him, but also that we would, we would watching this woman's life and, and just so much of her life just tells us how to live life with you. Uh, bless now our response to this, your word, uh, to respond in ways which would bring you glory and bless others. In Christ's name we pray, amen.